Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover, and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright Constable Skeen in Baltimore, Maryland. And today I'm joined by uh, two very special guests, Mr. Steve Manello and Mr. Mike Saba. The title of our episode today is Understanding Subcontractor Default Insurance. Mr. Saba and Mr. Manello are both experts on SDI, and we will explore the nature and purpose and operation of SDI, which sometimes is referred to as subguard, uh, the benefits, drawbacks compared to surety bonds and uh, the SDI claims process. As always, uh, we like to open up our episodes, of course, with a big thank you to everyone for your support of Surety Today. We ask that you uh, pass along our contact information to any colleagues who you think may be interested in calling in or checking out one of our podcasts. Remember that all of our prior episodes, about four years worth, uh, of Surety Today are always available anytime through multiple locations, uh, of course, on our website at wcslaw.com, as a podcast at uh, iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, or Podbean. Just search for uh, Surety Today. And on our micro site at suretytoday.net. As always, we have uh, muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise, and we will uh, un- unmute the line at the end for any questions. Before we uh, jump into today's episode, I, I would be remiss if I didn't introduce our special guest. First, let's start with uh, Mr. Michael Saba. He's a vice president with the Guardian Group and has over 40 years of fidelity and surety claim management experience. Mike has held uh, senior management positions with major surety companies such as USF&G and Transamerica. Uh, with the Guardian Group, uh, Mike assists clients with claims investigations and settlement, takeover and completion of defaulted contracts, forensic accounting, payment bond claim analysis, delay claim analysis, scheduling, accounting audits, and he's even, uh, he even provides expert witness services as well. I've worked with Mike on, on many cases. He does a, a tremendous job. Uh, Mr. Saba has received his Bachelor of Science degree in business administration with an emphasis in, uh, in finance from Woodbury University and he studied law at Laverne University School of Law. He's a certified instructor for the uh, American Surety Association. Uh, He's associate member of the FSLC, past president of the Northern California Fidelity and Surety Claims Association, a past speaker and current member of the National Bond Claims Association, and uh, he's affiliated with numerous professional organizations. I dare say if you're in the surety industry, you know Mr. Saba. Uh, Steve Manello is a senior vice president and director of RCMD surety operations in the Mid-Atlantic region. As both a civil engineer and former underwriter, Steve's uh, breadth of real-world industry knowledge is unique in the surety field. Steve manages the overall strategy of RCMD's uh, surety department, including sales, service, marketing, and ensures the high level of service and, and most competitive bond programs for clients and uh, significant strategic business advice. He also sells SDI. That's that's why uh, he's with us today, because he's been on both sides of the fence and he knows what the issues are. He's a former senior claims engineer, uh, where he was responsible for 
the financial and technical analysis of hundreds of uh, construction defaults and oversaw a wide variety of construction projects totaling uh, an average of $200 million a year throughout the U.S., Canada, and the Caribbean. Prior to joining uh, RCMD in 2008, he led uh, Allied North America's Washington, D.C. office for four years as executive vice president. Uh, he also served as senior construction surety underwriter at St. Paul Fire Marine, a senior claims engineer at USF&G, and uh, was a project manager at Whiting Turner Contracting Company and uh, with Structural Preservation Systems. Steve earned his uh, bachelor's uh, degree in civil engineering from Penn State University and his uh, master's in business administration from Loyola College. Steve's uh, very active in the local construction uh, community and in many, many organizations. Uh, he's, a, he's a really tremendous advocate for his clients and uh, everybody in the construction industry in the Mid-Atlantic region knows Steve. Uh, Steve, I want to I start off today with talking about SDI, uh, you know, just sort of the background of it, what, what is it, and, and we'll get into, you know, some of the, the, the variations between bonds and, and SDI, but let's just talk about, you know, what is SDI, where, where, where are we seeing it in the marketplace? Sure thing. Uh, thanks, Michael. Um, I really appreciate uh, speaking today with uh, Wright Constable and Skeen. You guys are, um, you know, great surety pros, uh, a client, and become friends over the years. And uh, the same to be said for Mike Saba. And it, it's kind of fun talking to the, my surety uh, former brethren in surety claim. I, if you're out there, you've got the toughest job in the business, and we respect and appreciate everything you do. Um, you know, SDI is an evolution of risk management. Um, that's the way you really need to think about it. GCs, um, any risk that uh, is presented in the marketplace, they have uh, basically three options. And when it comes to SDI or subcontract default, they have the options are self-insure it, uh, meaning don't get a bond, manage the payments, manage uh, direct uh, bills, um, take waivers, uh, use retention, uh, escrow, uh, whatever those means and methods might be. Um, the second one is bonding it, and the third one that's evolved is uh, SDI, which is uh, certainly just an insurance for the, for the default. Um, you know, the, the evolution is using the sub prequalification to, uh, to a new level, right? It's the three C's that we all know in surety. Uh, credit, capacity, and character, uh, and then adding, you know, a lot of management techniques, uh, contract selection, project selection, uh, quality control, quality insurance, uh, systems investment, and training. You know, it's really meant uh, for the sophisticated general contractor uh, that is investing in his company and his people and his and the training because of prequalification qualification really falls on them. Uh, and we're looking at general contractors that are doing approximately $75 million of subcontracting costs. So we use a ballpark of $100 million in revenue. Uh, they're the, really the best candidate for SDI. Okay. Hey, Mike, tell us what, what SDI covers. You know, what, what is it? Yeah, what does it cover? 
FTI is very uh, very similar to, to surety as far as, far as coverage, and, uh, in, including both the performance side and and the payment uh, bond side. On the performance side, it it covers the default of the subcontractor that's uh, enrolled in a particular project, uh, subject to a substantial uh, deductible, and the deductibles can be anywhere up to uh, uh, five hundred thousand to a uh, million dollars or more with an aggregate uh, deductible of uh, say five million dollars as as an example so the, the the coverage is 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 there for the insured and it allows the insured to um, to um, have free free control as to how they want to uh, complete the project with the uh, arising from the default of the subcontractor, which you know, obviously differentiates from a bond where you have certain conditions uh, precedent that require certain uh, requirements of the uh, of the principal or excuse me of the obligee before they could affect coverage under the under the bond. Whereas an SDI, it's simply a notification to the insurance company of a, of default, and uh, which is then acknowledged by uh, by the insurance company. And they send out a proof of loss form or a proof of claim form, and it's more of a of a geared uh, uh, effort to work with the insured to quantify and qualify the loss for the coverage that's provided. So, it's it's similar in the sense that uh, the insured is covered for the performance uh, or the non-performance of its defaulted subcontractor, but the method that the work is completed and how it's uh, project is relit and how it's uh, captured is all done by the insured, where the insurer is mainly there to make sure that the coverage that uh, they've, uh, they've allowed is, is properly documented and that, the, and that the costs are fully captured. So you mentioned that the, the deductibles can be pretty high, and that I imagine, Steve, that's why you, you look at uh, larger contractors being the ones that are best suited for this kind of insurance. Yes, certainly the uh, financial capacity of a company is uh, one of the credit uh, concerns that we look at, one of the credit, um, you know, criteria that we look at. Um, you know, Mike has said, you know, the deductibles can be very high, uh, so they're, they're using, they're going to have to come out of pocket for a lot of this uh, to, to default, for default. Um, but, you know, it's a great, um, it's a great tool for the right kind of company that um, has a sophisticated plan of pre-qualification, financial review. Um, they look at exposure across the board so you're not overly exposed to one sub or one group of subs on multiple jobs where a default could, could be devastating to the company. Um, so it's a very highly qualified uh, pre-qualification process. You know, um, SDI is not standard, right? So what Mike is referring to is really interesting because all those factors come into play in different ways on every policy. You know, there's no standard form like there is in, a, in our surety world where it's AIA or in the insurance world where it's ISO forms. Um, and, you know, that creates a lot of variation in the market of, you know, how these um, policies uh, actually work. And these uh, sophisticated general contractors, they, they talk about how they will sometimes on a, on a given project, they will, they will include certain subs into the SDI and other subs on the same job, they'll require bonds. 
Um, yeah, yeah so, well, Mike, go ahead and take that. I was going to say that's, that's not uncommon. Uh, it's not uncommon to see that the uh, the contractor will assess its risk, as Steve referred to uh, previously, and those where there may be more at risk uh, for potentially a large or, or substantial exposure, uh, they will bond those contractors almost on a regular basis. It's uh, not uncommon to see the mechanical contractor and the and the uh, the plumbing contractor and the electrical uh, electrical contractor uh, to be bonded, whereas the, the the landscaper and the painter and the and the more uh, less at risk contra- subcontractors will be enrolled in the SDI. So it's a matter of, of, as Steve said, assessing your risk and making a determination on what amount of risk you want to uh, carry on on your um, on your operations. The advantage that the SDI has is that when one of those subcontractors go into default, the uh, the uh, insured has the full option or the full ability to. Uh, take over and complete the work and relet the project and, and bring in a new sub or supplement that sub's work and, and finish the work without having to deal with uh, the, uh, the the uh, condition preceding requirements of a, of a bond. Uh, the other thing that the insured uh, uh, takes a risk on is that if there's a wrongful termination, if there's a wrongful termination arising out of the defaulted subcontractor, if the subcontractor pushed back and files suit for wrongful termination, it doesn't uh, prevent the coverage from still being in effect. The only caveat is is that assuming that the uh, wrongful termination turns into litigation and it's adjudicated and found that the termination was improper, then the insured would be required to reimburse any money that they collected from the insurer uh, to be reimbursed for those for those costs that were uh, were advanced, but other than that, the insured has uh, pretty much the uh, ability to complete the project and to uh, in the manner that they feel is most uh, uh, equitable for them, and that's what uh, the advantage over over a surety bond would be. But again, they're subject to that very high deductible that uh, uh, allows them that uh, that flexibility. So, so Steve, if if you're underwriting uh, surety bonds on a project and you see that the GC uh, doesn't want to include certain subs in their in their SDI program, does that give you cause for concern as the surety? Are you are you more uh, more attuned to what's going on in that circumstance? So, from that perspective, you're asking me from a being from a surety uh, rep, right. from a subcontractor, right. am I concerned that? They're asking for a bond on an SDI program. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know that's that's interesting because I tend to worry about the opposite. Right. We have a lot of great surety clients, uh, six hundred of them, and you know I worry sometimes when they're on projects that I may not even know about until I get a whip schedule. Uh, you know, six months after the fact that they had signed up for an SDI program. And an SDI program isn't like a OSIP or a CSIP. There is no formal signing process. You're not trading a credit back to the GC. Um, you may or may not even know that you're enrolled. And um, th- there is no claim process in an SDI program, as, as Mike has suggested. You know, that claim goes back through the insurance under the theory of loss in insurance, 
and it's segregated by the carrier. So that carrier is Zurich, Excel, Berkshire Hathaway, Liberty, Hudson, Arch, Cove. A um, lot of variants there. So we really worry about the opposite more than somebody um, placing a bond. We recognize because of managing SDI programs um, that they have to diversify their risk. And what they're really trying to do is protect um, the loss fund, right, that they've created uh, to manage an SDI program. So we respect that. I kind of worry about the opposite. Well, talk about that. Talk about the loss, the loss fund. Yeah, so well, – oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say the loss fund, in, in every company, as Steve indicated, uh, handles it differently or, or requires it uh, differently. But the loss fund is generally a, a fund that's set up that the insured is able to pay into, which will uh, allow them to uh, – capture most of the losses they may incur, which would be less than their deductibles or, or their SIR, so that it, it allows them some flexibility so that they, they know there's a, a substantial amount of money that's, in, that's being held in trust or being held in an account that can be used at any time by the insured to reimburse themselves for losses in less than their deductibles or up to their deductibles. And it, it gives them some flexibility. They, there's some tax considerations for that, and there's other considerations with the insured uh, uses for, again, part of their overall uh, uh, risk management uh, assessment of the of the account or of the uh, of the risk, and it's something that I think, and you see it across the board. Now, not every uh, account takes advantage of the loss fund, but the majority of them do, and it's something that uh, that we do at Guardian. We uh, we help our insureds to uh, manage those loss funds if they require it. That's something that we we've been able to do for for a number of, of accounts, and we've also done it for our insured our insurers as well, who asked us to manage the loss funds, so that everybody has an idea of how much money is is available through the loss fund to offset the, the various losses, or or how they need to replenish the loss fund if they if they deem it necessary. So, it's a, just another tool to manage the. Um, uh, the, the risk and the loss. Well, Steve, let's talk about the cost then, you know, cost of a bond versus uh, SDI. Sure. So, you know, the current market for surety right now, companies that are small uh, and are using small markets and are less credit worthy, uh, they're paying in the range of uh, 2% to 2.5%. Um, I've heard of 3 and 4% in the marketplace. Uh, we would never go there because it's just signaling all the wrong signals. But but that's a good ballpark, two to two and a half percent. Solid contractors, uh, mature, lots of good history. They're going to be less than one percent to to one percent. So you know they're in that range. You're going to buy an SDI program uh, based on tranches, right? So a hundred million dollar contractor might buy a. a I don't know, $75 million tranche, which lasts a year. And he can enroll uh, subcontractors into that program. There's a cost, what they call the risk transfer premium. Uh, that is the cost that they buy the policy for before anything else. Think of insurance. They know you're going to have an accident. They know you're going to have a problem. They know you're going to have a default. Um, we have to bake that in. It's not surety where it's a three-party 
agreement. It's a, it's a first insured type agreement. So that's the cost of it. That's generally um, a half a point. So we're already far cheaper than even the best surety. Um, and then there's a combined premium that you build on top of that. And that, that has your loss fund cost, that has your um, management cost, that has your systems cost, that has the cost to your, um, to your company to run this thing. And then there's an SDI administration cost, which is basically internal. And that's usually in that half a point or something like that. And, you know, that's for uh, the pre-qualification cost. Because now you're in the business of pre-qualifying your subs like you've never done before. And there is a cost to that, training, systems, management, oversight. Um, but at the end of the day, if there's no losses, um, you know, that risk transfer cost and some of that loss fund can be far less than what you would have cost to bond every sub. And that money at the end of the day can be captured as profit in a captive. Uh, that's typically where we see it uh, ending up. At. So uh, very economical. Um, that's one of the, it's very efficient. It's one of the advantages of it. It's very effective. Um, and there's a lot of control and consistency in a, in a timely claim process. Okay, and it's really, really dependent on if you control those losses. If you have the losses, though, it can, it can throw the cost much higher than bonds. Yes, if you uh, have a situation where you have multiple subcontractors on a specific uh, project where happen to get in trouble, and that, that has happened at times, or you have two or three or more uh, subcontractor defaults on one project, with a, with each uh, loss subject to a half a million dollars, let's say, deductible, uh, that could add up pretty quickly. Where the next thing you know, your your cost or your out of pocket cost could be uh, three or four million dollars, which would be less than the aggregate still. So, while you may have losses, and none of them may be above the uh, the uh, individual aggregate of uh, say say half a million dollars for the for the deductible amount. So you could have a situation where you could have a two or three million dollar loss, uh, which, which I've actually seen uh, on one project, and none of it would be reimbursable by the SDI policy. So there is that risk. I, now that's the exception, not the rule. It's generally you'll have one contractor on one job that may may be in trouble, but there are situations where you could have multiple uh, losses on one project with multiple contractors. Uh, uh, being in claim or being in default, and none of it would be uh, would reach the threshold for coverage under the SDI policy. So that's part of the risk assessment, again, that the uh, insurer needs to make when they decide to to undergo that kind of a, of a policy. And getting back to the the coverages, so this SDI policy will it cover indirect losses such as acceleration, overhead, LDs, those kinds of things? Yes, but it's uh, it's it's uh, limited to some policies. As Steve said, every every uh, carrier has a different uh, interpretation of indirect losses. Some will have a percentage limitation. It's just a a flat ten percent or, or or whatever percentage number they, they they elect to choose, which is automatically included in the uh, in the uh, in the coverage or the loss coverage. So you would get an automatic ten percent for those types of losses. Other policies have defined what an indirect loss is, and they'll spell them right out. And uh, 
Some policies require that you have to make that election at the time that you submit your proof of claim, or others uh, you have to make that uh, decision within 30 days from the uh, notice of loss. So uh, there's different levels of that, but but generally speaking, indirect uh, claims uh, delay, uh, impact, liquidated damages, those type of claims are are covered under an SDI policy. And one of the differences between SDI and payment in um, in bonds that I've seen talked about is that SDI doesn't provide pay, payment coverage like a payment bond would. So if a subcontractor is not paid, uh, the payment bond would step in. And whereas at SDI, you don't have that directly. Uh, but if there's a claim by the payment bond claimant against not not a bond because there isn't one, but against the the owner through through a mechanics lien or something like that, there might be coverage. Is that correct, uh, Steve? Yeah, that's um, that's correct. And Mike can probably talk about some specific uh, examples of that. Um, but that's where the conversation really becomes interesting with our owners. So here at RCMD, we not only do surety for contractors and subcontractors, but we also do surety for manufacturers and colleges and universities and hospitals and large owners that are managing construction projects, and rather large construction projects, 150, 200, you know, 400 million in one case. Um, and talking about the advantages to, a, to an owner about how to use SDI versus bonds for the general contractors, you know, is, is really that's the conversation we're having. Where is your protection? This is a first party protection for a GC that doesn't necessarily translate to an owner. Uh, and so that's so that's, if a GC if a GC goes out of business, let's say in the middle of a project, right. what's the protection for the owner? Uh, so Mike can probably tell me the forms that are out there, but there are there are in a lot of cases riders that in that specific case where a GC goes out of business uh, or goes into bankruptcy that the policy will transfer, the single policy for that project, we can transfer to the owner where they can make a claim. Um, however, if it's a dispute on a job, that doesn't necessarily trigger that rider. So um, it leaves the owners making some very difficult decisions about how much risk transfer they want to have in a, in a contract uh, when presented with SDI, because it's not it is not what a bond is. Uh, bonds are much full, much more uh, fully supportive of, a, of an owner and an obligee. Right, as Steve like said, it. the uh, bo- as Steve said, the bond specifically excludes assigning assignment of the uh, policy, with the exception of a rider. Uh, I think the rider is more of an exception than the rule. Uh, mm-hmm. It's but uh, but there but. As Steve also said, the policy is is first party coverage. It's for the benefit of the of the named uh, insured, and uh, and that's where limitation is. Also, moreover, if the insured is in, goes into liquidation or goes into uh, uh, receivership or bankruptcy, that policy is canceled. So the owner uh, then is exposed to those types of uh, potential claims that could come down. Uh, what I've seen in a lot of instances, and again, I'm not an underwriter, and I, I don't know how they're all fully addressed. Steve could, could talk about that. But I've seen where the uh, owner is still requiring the general contractor to post a bond to protect the owner, whereas the 
subcontractors may be fully enrolled in the SDI pro uh, uh, program to protect the uh, the uh, general contractor. So, it's a, again, it's part of the risk management assessment that the uh, the owner, the insured, and the um, and the companies need to make to make those uh, decisions if it's something that's it's right for their circumstances. Right, right. So one of the things that uh, when you talk about the the relative, you know, pros and cons between bonds and SDI, one of the things that that people speak of in terms of the benefit of surety versus SDI is the law is really undefined, and I, I can say that. I did some searching uh, Westlaw to try to find, you know, what's out there on SDI. There really is not much out there at all about, you know, the claims process and, and, and all of that. One of the things that I thought was interesting in the policies, apparently this whole, as, as Steve said, the whole pre-qualification aspect of the SDI policy is really important. And one of the reasons, you know, to the GC, but one of the reasons it's important is because Apparently, these policies will have a, a provision that says if you fail to properly pre-qualify as the GC in the SDI policy, that they can deny coverage. Uh, Mike, you've handled over 200 uh, SDI claims. Have you seen that come up yet? Yes and no. Yes, I've seen it come up, but I have yet to see an insured uh, evoke it. But I've, I've seen it come up where they've had conversations with the insured for them to improve their pre-qualification process. But, uh, but yes, it is, you're right. The policy does have the requirement. And uh, I think uh, the, insurers, the, ins the insurers are getting better at educating their, uh, their clients or their, gen their, their general contractor clients of the uh, of the pre-qualification process, and I'm aware that most of the uh, our general contractors actually have uh, either uh, have people on staff that's that's doing that for them, or they're outsourcing it to other companies that will do the pre-qualification process for them. That's then included with a package when they submit the uh, the uh, request to the uh, to their agent or broker for coverage. So. It's it is it is an issue and it's something that is looked at, but and and the companies are taking harder looks at it because they realize the risk really is the subcontractors. That's the risk is their subcontractors. Right, right. All right. So we're, we're getting near the end of our time. One one question for the claims folks here on the line and uh, out there in the surety world is, okay, you've got that situation where the where there's a surety bond mixed in with an SDI coverage uh, situation on a on a project and uh, things go bad, uh, can the surety, through its equitable subrogation rights, come after an SDI policy? Mike and Steve, both you got to provide your thoughts on that. Well, my, the policy, again, is not assignable. Uh, can they subrogate to the proceeds? Yes, they could, they could certainly be entitled to collect the proceeds against their, their principal under, the, uh, under their indemnity, but they don't have a right of bringing a claim against the policy directly because the policy excludes it. There's, only, uh, there's one reported case on this. It's a California case, and unfortunately I didn't have the site with me, but I, I, I can get it, where uh, uh, that, that was attempted. I'm aware of a couple of actions right now that are pending where sureties are attempting to subrogate against the uh, SDI policy, and they're being vigorously uh, opposed right now because of the plain language of the policy and its non-assignability provision of the policy. So it's uh, it's something that the uh, companies are very guarded on is to make sure that that policy is not a uh, another source of recovery for uh, for a third party. 
Steve, any thoughts on that issue? No, it's a, I think that's a great answer. Uh, being a surety claim person for years, uh, we always relied on general liability policies to cover what we could uh, from um, uh, the, the second party def defective work, the hole in the roof, the, you know, the, the issues that we had. Um, this is not one of those coverages that uh, we've seen successfully uh, uh, pierced uh, yet, if I can use that word. So it's going to be really interesting to, to follow that, 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 those cases uh, in, in the courts. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to stay tuned, but because there's really not much out there so far, and uh, just have to see. All right, so uh, we're we're up against our deadline here, so I'm going to do a quick closing before we open up the line for any questions. I want to let everybody know that the next edition of Surety Today will be on Monday, August 10th at 12:30 Eastern Time. Uh, ordinarily, I would mention some upcoming events in the surety industry, but you know, with coronavirus, there aren't any. Uh, as I noted last month, our firm is a co-sponsor of the annual Northeast Surety and Fidelity Claims Conference, which is generally held in New Jersey in September, but uh, because of COVID, uh, the in-person conference has been changed to a webinar. So the, the first ever Northeast Surety Fidelity Claims webinar will be held on September 24th and 25th. Um, both webinars will start at 10 and end around 1 o'clock Eastern Time and they will cover a variety of surety and, uh, and fidelity issues, and you will get uh, CLE and CE credits. Again, thanks, thanks so much for joining us today, and thank you to our special guests, Steve and Mike, uh, for their insights and their, their knowledge and information on this important topic. So now I'm gonna unmute the line. All right, folks, uh, we're opened up. If you've got any questions for Steve or Mike, um, now's the chance. Thank you for the presentation. I have a quick question. If you provided a bond on the project, are you excluded from the SDI program? So uh, this is Steve. So who is they in that sentence? So, so if the subcontract, the city electrical guy provides the bond and he defaults, uh, to the GC, uh, would the would the, uh, the GC is going to make a claim against the surety? Can he also make a? Uh, could there also be a claim against the SDI policy, or is the S, does the SDI policy exclude any subcontractors that are bonded? That's a good question. So when when a project is conceived um, and an SDI policy is put in place. Remember, we go back to that tranche that we talked about. Um, they're going to enroll, right, uh, the subcontractors by name, by value, and they're going to work down that tranche. So just like a surety program is based on a single job and an aggregate, uh, there's, a, there's a tranche in this insurance. It could be worth $75 million. And as you enroll contractors, $10 million here, $5 million there, $2 million there, that worked its way down. So it's a formal enrollment. So that subcontractor in your example has was chosen not to be enrolled so that they were never formally enrolled. They provided a bond in lieu of that and there would be no recovery of the SDI. Unless Mike, you teach me something that I don't know. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, Steve. That's that's exactly the the, the way to the, the way it is. 
Oh. Oh, thank you. We lost you there, Fred. Yeah. So I I had a question. I had a question uh, that came to me through email, guys, from somebody uh, who called in. It's a simple question. Why are the deductibles so high? (laughs) That's something for Steve, I think. Go go ahead, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, you know, it goes back to the theory of insurance. We know there's going to be a loss. And uh, the deductibles are there to, you know, make make sure that it's an honest default. Otherwise, um, you know, when deductibles were low and uh, and uh, clients could stuff these claims full of uh, G&A costs and overhead costs and indirect costs, the product itself uh, struggled to be to be viable, right? And so, the deductible is the same thing that's, you know, on your car, it's on your boat. Uh, it allows, you know, it kind of forces you to be honest in recognizing a claim. Um, and let's face it, most contractors really want to work it out on the job site. The easiest thing to do is always work it out on the job site. Believe me, coming from a job site, it's the easiest thing to do. Make some, make some modifications and just get the job done. Uh, but that's what it's there for, to kind of keep that whole process. They have to have skin in the game, so that has to be an honest, transparent process. We're, we're going to be going through some really interesting times as the credit market starts to wobble. Uh, the insurance market now wobbles. Insurance or in, uh, interest rates are very low, so the return on reinvestment is very low. Um, you know, companies are strong right now. Con- contractors are strong right now. They just received PPP funds. Most of them don't have to pay it back because they've kept people working, and work never really stopped in most states. But we're entering a time where um, the credit market is going to tighten the surety, in my opinion. Um, and I think it's also going to push people to SDI programs, but at the same time, uh, and Mike, I'd love your thoughts on it. I think it's going to be become harder and harder to qualify for a good SDI program. So uh, these are just risk management tools that have to uh, reflect the environment that we're in. No, I, I, I think you're right. I think uh, right now uh, it's interesting in our particular uh, our business. We're not seeing a lot of new assignments on surety, but we're averaging at least one to two or three SDI claims a week. That's been coming in fairly regularly. The, the bulk of them that's coming in are under the SIRs. But we are seeing defaults coming in, and they are uh, in the SDI uh, uh, arena, not the surety arena. And it's just, a, uh, you know, like Steve said, it's a matter of time as the as things open up. And, the, and what, what concerns me is the, is the backlog. Contractors are working off their backlogs now and how much new work is going to be coming up in the future and whether or not that new work is even going to be there because a lot of the public entities aren't, don't have the financing to, uh, to start new projects. And then the same thing in the private uh, market. So right now, the contractors aren't feeling the pinch directly because they have a significant backlog. But uh, you have to wonder what's going to happen when that backlog works down, and uh, and how much new work is going to be um, be on the horizon. I, I know I know some contractor clients that we we have. That's telling me that their bid openings are getting pushed back. Uh, uh, you know, six six eight weeks are being pushed out, and I imagine that's going to continue. Yeah, these are definitely interesting times right now, and 
when you look at the economists trying to forecast the future, it, it, they just throw up their hands. It just nobody can t- nobody can say what's going to yeah. go on. We, the virus is the wild card too. You know, if we get a second wave of that thing, if we can't come up with a, a you know a vaccine or treatments, who knows? It's it's uh it's just completely unknowable. Um, all right, do we have any other questions out there? Doesn't sound like it. All right, guys, thank you again. You did a tremendous job, and uh, we'll be be in touch with everybody next month. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright, Constable, and Skeen website at wcslaw.com backslash surety-today.